Wanna ring the bell? Alright. Ding, ding. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Two Views Movies. I am Garrett. I am Carson. And for number 202, we are back to Christopher Nolan. Nolan with Oppenheimer. Yeah. Definitely been seeing a lot of Oppenheimer. Uh, I mean, no no secret to the podcast here that I am a, a fairly big Christopher Nolan fan. Um, I, I feel like every time I finish watching one of his movies, like the first thing I want to do is Google what is his next project? Because I'm always just genuinely interested to see like what's coming next. I, I do the same with like Jordan Peele too, right? Like walk out of the theater seeing Nope, like, okay, is there any news on that? Or same with Quentin Tarantino. So Nolan's definitely one of those directors who um, gets me excited to see each of their projects. And Oppenheimer was really no different. Yeah, I feel like you've been waiting for this one for a while. Yeah, it, I, I'd have to go back and look at it. And so Tenet was the last one that would have been... 2020 2021 because i remember it was right right during covid because like there's the whole question of like do we release in theater or do we not um and i have to say i mean i think when looking at my nolan rankings tenet was on the lower end of my of my christopher nolan rankings i still enjoyed it but for a guy who complexities yeah i mean for a director who Every movie almost is uh, between a four and a five for me. You know, to get something that's like a three and a half, like Tenet, was like, oh, okay, well, valiant effort, good shot. Um, so it did, it did make me wonder, like, what are we coming out of the gates with on this one? And then when he chose like a historical historical biopic, I'm like, okay, well, it's not going to be some new groundbreaking memento or Inception or Tenet. You know, it kind of did with with Dunkirk. He did, he did. Um, so yeah, I mean, that that's that's the best. Nolan equivalent, right? If you're looking at Oppenheimer, the best thing to compare it to would be Dunkirk. Although um, Dunkirk was more about an event, this is trying to follow one guy. I think you, I, I felt going into the movie, he could, he could play more with Dunkirk being a widespread event, multiple viewing angles, all that kind of stuff. Whereas this, you know, at some point you knew you needed to follow the guy through the whole the thing. Guy, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I d- definitely was looking forward to it. I think Nolan's one of those people who. I think straddles the line between really good filmmaking and stuff for the masses, right? So like I think you tip the needle too far one way, the stuff for the masses, that's when you start getting into like um you know, the fast movies, like just the just the pure crowd pleasers, right? Like it's it's just for the people. We're just we're just putting something out there for the people. And you go too much the other way and you start getting into like art housey kind of stuff, right? So it's like uh maybe maybe a lot like Spielberg before him, right? Where it's He's somebody who can make a really good movie, high quality filmmaking, you know, all that kind of stuff, but digestible for the masses. I think so. I think that's I think that's his kind Shouldn't of hallmark. That be the goal of all directors. He, I don't know. Can be no, as I mean, why if you can make it appealing to all audiences and still have your artistic flair, right? I, like, why why limit your viewing? Oh, it's not for you. It's for for these people. It sounds it's a bit. Well, when, I, I don't know. Make it a beautiful film. I, I know, feel like art. To the world. Yeah, but that's where like art and commerce come together, right? I mean, you could say the same thing about music. You'd say say the same thing about books. Some artists are going to do solely what they want, 
and be happy with the product that they put out and not if people want to consume it okay but they're happy with the quality of art that they put out so not they're not really looking to maximize popularity or ticket sales or anything like that um or album sales or concert sales you know whatever but some some artists might want to do that and skew more towards that and then some try to straddle that line right where it's i want to put out the quality i want it just happens to be hitting with the masses so i don't know that everybody should have to do that you know i don't think that somebody who's really really content making a indie level 50 million dollar movie you know is going to worry about you know trying to bring in 400 million dollars in box office well, I'm not necessarily saying box office numbers. I mean, that obviously leads to people liking it, you know, and having mass appeal. I just think, you know, I would, if I'm making a movie, I would try to make it to where most people would enjoy it. <laughs> you know, like, I think that's the, one approach. I mean, that's, I mean, I feel like, yeah, I'm doing what I want to do, but I feel like if people don't like it, then what's the point? But that's well, but the point is you put your vision out there, right? I mean, if you feel firmly that you want to make your artistry about this type of storytelling or this type of device and really focus on this kind of um, story, you know, maybe you don't care about the rest of it. You know, I, I'm sure you, you clearly deep down want people to like it and you want it to resonate, but maybe what's more important is that you're true to like your artistic self. And then if it resonates with some, you know, that's great. If it resonates with more, that's even better. But I, I think that's the, it's probably an age old art, debate right well i mean i feel like making a movie you're making it for the audience i mean i get and that that's kind of the whole point mm. if you're making it i mean yes but no yourself well yeah you're but you're making it based on your principles and you're hoping that everybody comes in and wants to see it so i, I see what but you're saying good, but a good director will be able to do both yeah i think that's what separates you know great directors from directors that you know are never up for any awards, never have a lot of accolades. You know, the Scorsese's, the Spielberg's, the Nolan's, those guys, they have that, they have that sweet spot where they seem to be able to take, you know, all different subject matters, right? I mean, those guys have covered all different sorts of topics and make them digestible for the mainstream, but still get credit for the type of, you know, mastery of their art that they have. So yeah, I think that's, that's sort of the pinnacle of it all. I would agree with that. And I, and I guess back to our point, like that's where I feel like Nolan squarely sits. I, I think, you know, love him or hate him, there's no denying that, you know, he's one of the better directors of, you know, arguably all time, definitely of like this most recent generation, which I would say is, you know, post Spielberg kind of stuff. Um, basically since what, the early 2000s is when Nolan's been around between, you know, uh, Memento is kind of when I really caught caught him um and since then he's you know been pretty consistent memento is a really good movie if you haven't if you haven't seen memento but i feel like that was we backtracked into memento i don't feel like that came out and we're like go see it i, I didn't like see it in theaters a, i saw it uh i rented it from blockbuster because somebody came yes. and told me there's a backwards <laughs> movie that you have to see <laughs> right right that's kind of how i saw it so i wondered if there if there was another movie that said Oh, if you like this, then go back to Memento. I don't remember the, the timeline there, but I remember seeing it after it was out. Yeah, I don't even I, know if it got a widespread audience. I don't even know if it was released. I don't know, but I, I would say probably, obviously, the one where most people started latching onto him would have been Batman Begins, right? Yeah. I, I'm not sure too many people, even me, like 
I don't know at the time that I connected the dots that the dude who directed Memento is the one that was directing the new Batman. All I knew was, oh, there's a new Batman coming out. Let's go, let's go see it. And then right. it just kind of went from there. So yeah, Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Not much to go in a letterbox blurb. The story of J. Robert Oppenheimer's role in the development of the atomic bomb during World War II. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, obviously directed by Christopher Nolan. The cast, I'm only going to name some of the cast. If you, when you watch this movie, or if you have, haven't, and you get ready to, just get ready. There's a lot of people that just show up on screen where you're like, oh, oh okay. No idea he was in this, or no idea she was in this. There's like faces keep popping up. Like, it's clearly one of those. He's one of those directors where people just want to be in his movie regardless. And it's clear because people will take some really, really small roles just to be on the screen here. Right. Did you ever wonder, like, why? Why are you here? I'm assuming it's just because they're like, I want to work on a Christopher Nolan project. I mean, why else would it be? I mean, is it... So I I try to think about from the casting director's standpoint also of were they contacted by these these name actors that said, hey, I want to be in, I don't care what it is. Or they reach out and say, hey, I got these three lines that <laughs> just pop in yeah. here. <laughs> and they're like, okay, day's work. Sure, I'll be a part yeah. of the movie. I, I, I don't know. I, I would guess at this point that he's probably got a laundry list of people who have reached out to him saying, I don't care what it is. I'll take I'll take whatever you have. I just want to want to be in your movies. And you know, I'm sure they're hoping that it's, you know, he eyeballs them for like one of the bigger parts. But if he's like, "Hey, I got this one little part," you know, you still down? They're probably like, "Yeah, okay." I mean, why not? Let's be in. Let's be in it. Well, he clearly has the people he likes, and he brings yes. them back for just about every movie, and so at least yeah. went one way or another. So that's not a bad way to get into it if you're like, "Hey, yeah. put me in something," and then hopefully I'll be be in something else later. Right, I, I completely agree. Um, so for the main cast, we have Killian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Florence Pugh, Benny Safdie, and Josh Hartnett. Like I said, I, I'm leaving a significant amount of people out, maybe not in terms of screen time, but definitely in terms of you know quantity of people. You Somebody new is popping up each scene that you'll see, whether it's you know Jack Quaid, whether it's Kenneth Branagh. I mean, people are just... Rami Malek, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're just like one minute you're watching the movie, next minute you're like, oh, okay, I had no idea. So, and not that they're like big surprises like Matt Damon in Interstellar, but they're just, you know, had no idea. Matt Damon, see, uh, we we had a little side side conversation about Matt Damon. He's he's a fine actor, but not in a in a drama. I think I think he when he shows up, it's almost like it's a caricature of somebody like he's are you just talking like current day matt damon because like matt damon and rounders and matt damon and goodwill hunting is totally fine sure but now i'm saying now nowadays when he pops up into something it's like it's it's like it's a joke like oh there's there's matt damon yeah you know it's like himself in a mustache like it's not who whoever it is like it's like i don't feel like you belong in this type of movie yeah, I, I mean, my family was talking about that after the movie, and we all kind of thought that, you know, Matt Damon has just sort of become Matt Damon in every movie. And and we, we've talked about this plenty of times before. I mean, there's lots of actors who are just themselves, whether, whether it's Ryan Reynolds, whether it's Adam Sandler. I mean, those are egregious examples, but there's dramatic actors that are like that, too, that's like, I never really see the character. I just see Matt Damon, and he kind of just feels the same, whether it's an heir or whether it's in... Uh, Oppenheimer, um, I like him. I don't have a problem with him, but I also I'm just kind of indifferent towards him these days. Well, I liked him. Like I said, I like him in The Departed. You know, mm-hmm. I felt like he was a, a real character here, but but in this one, and also Interstellar, again, it just it feels like 
they just drop him in <laughs> kind of like in, in Thor, like, Oh, there's the, yeah. They, they, they drop in Matt Damon. Like, Oh, here's a little bit part for yeah. this. It, it, it feels weird. I mean, sure. He's, he's good, but he's just, it's, it's off. Yeah. To me, if he, he feels off when he's dropped in like that. Yep. I mean, it, I won't disagree with that. I think that's just sort of been his shtick lately. But yeah, I, I didn't mind him in this movie. I thought he was fine. I, I, his character is very one-dimensional, really. So it's not like you're um, giving him a lot of versatility or anything to really work with here. I mean, you, you know, you could have swapped Jesse Plemons in, and it wouldn't have been any different. Um, so I, I wonder why, if that's <laughs> why Jesse Plemons? because he's Meth Damon <laughs> because because he he's like the knockoff Matt Damon and he's also appearing everywhere these days and like but I mean if you think about this role like it, it could have been anybody it didn't it didn't matter who this was it's an army sergeant or army colonel sergeant whatever that's just going around like yelling and you know trying to keep things in line that there's nothing unique being brought to that role. Yeah, I mean, I felt like he was fine as the movie went on. I just when I initially see him on screen, and I guess when it's unexpected, I just get that feeling. Of, eh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, so here's my general thoughts on on Oppenheimer. Um, I knew it was going to be long going into it. I mean, I think anytime you know, this has been a huge topic for us. I think lately, and especially in the last few years, because it seems like there's been so many movies come out that are either three hours or really consistently pushing beyond that two and a half hour time limit. Um, and I think when you have movies that long, we've talked about this, you, you have to, you have to get the pacing all right. There's, there's almost less or Sorry. There's almost more opportunity for error when you're going three hours than if you're trying to edit down to two fifteen. I feel like, because when you're at least boxed into two fifteen. Yes, you still have to worry about pacing, but you're not giving yourself enough rope to hang yourself with. With three hours, you are giving yourself rope to hang yourself with. Um, movies like The Batman and John Wick 4, for me, um, did really well at keeping the three-hour timeline going and not really making me feel like it. Um, there were times in this movie where I felt like things were moving at a good clip, and then there were times where I felt like it was kind of stuck. And then I... I feel like some of the things that they got stuck on in the first half of the movie sort of prevented some of the payoffs in the second half of the movie. So, I mean, my my main complaint about this movie is that I don't feel like it needed to be this long. Um, I think, I mean, shoot, even if you cut it by 30 minutes, which I think I could find 30 minutes in there to cut, that's still a two and a half hour movie. You still got plenty of stuff to work with, but... My my top, I think, complaint is that things got a little bogged down in the beginning trying to lead up to, you know, the big event, which is the, the test of the bomb. And I think some of the things they focus on in the beginning half of the movie kind of hurt the payoff later on. And we, we'll, we can talk about that more in spoilers. But it, so it's it's more of a structural thing to me that, that, that bothered me um, right out the gates with Oppenheimer. So I never felt like I was looking at my watch waiting in for it to be over or mm -hmm. I never felt like this feels really long. My, mine was more of how it was constructed and like, this is what we're going into now. And this feels really detached from the rest of the movie. Like, mm -hmm. why are we talking about this scene? So there is more of that, not necessarily, okay, this is taking forever. So there's some movies Agreed. that you're like, okay, this is taking forever. Let's be done. Um, th this felt edited strangely for me. Now I will full disclosure. The, uh, we went to a screener 
and the first 10 minutes, uh, roughly 10 minutes, were without sound. And so we're just sitting there, and they said, oh, they're fixing it. They're going to start it over. So we kind of stopped paying attention, and then the sound kicked on, and they didn't start it over, and yeah. just kind of rolled with it. So there, there may be some criticisms that I have going in that the first 10 minutes alleviate, uh, maybe explain towards the end. I don't know. I don't think uh, so. But, but that's but that's my, my viewing experience of uh, kind of disappointed and uh but it was free, so I can't ask for money back <laughs> on, on a free showing. So it was one of those that uh, I feel like there could have been maybe something in those first 10 minutes that helped me better digest the, the end. But I don't think as so. Of, as, as of right now, it uh, it seems all very detached, but we'll we'll get into that. So uh, hold on. Did you – because like very early on, is he's like at the school over in you know Europe or whatever it is. And he's like having those visions of like atomic stuff in his mind. Like, so you didn't have any mm-hmm. sound during that? No. Oh my God. That's like some of the, that's like some of the best parts of the movie for me. Like the way the sound that was hitting, like the whole theater was shaking. The score was just phenomenal. Like as they're doing that, and it, it doesn't add to, I think your understanding of later events or what's going on necessarily. Although it's hard for me to say exactly what happened in the dialogue because i'm trying to remember back but I, i'm just disappointed that you didn't get to hear and experience like the sound and the the music that was happening that because those were very very cool scenes like some of the standout scenes for me well speaking of sound we did hear i believe indiana jones in the theater <laughs> next to us uh just the bass was just shaking our yeah. theater which is very distracting as well uh so again overall not a great movie going experience but no the beginning basically uh you know, I saw him injecting uh-huh. uh, an apple. You know, we, we but I don't I don't know why or what the build up for that. Uh, but we got there uh, basically when he swiped away the apple. Oh, like okay. That's when we picked up. Yeah, so, that's sort of. Ter- I mean, that's a terrible movie going experience. Not ten minutes yeah. of no sound. That's that's awful. Yeah. Like, and the fact that they didn't restart it, especially for a screener, that's super bizarre. My guess is they had another another. Uh, uh, showing after us, and I'm so, sure they like, did. Like, but good once lord, they, once you bump it, then it kind of messes with your your whole yeah. Thing. But but yeah, so that's uh yes, it did it did affect uh, a little bit, kind of put us in a sour mood. Mm-hmm. But uh, it uh, that was our our viewing experience. Okay, so you, you were about to ask a question. What what did you have? Oh, I, I wanted to get just in general thoughts, uh, and we'll get to the specifics in the spoiler side, but general thoughts on the knock on Nolan not being able to write and direct women actors. I mean, it would be hard for me to say that that's not a fair criticism if you look back over the course of his directing career. I mean, was the character of Katie Dawes and Batman really a strong character? I mean... Not really. Neither was um, Raz Ghul's daughter. Um, Carrie Ann Moss maybe seemed a little bit okay in Memento. Um, Inception, Cotillard's just the wife that, you know, Leo's chasing, so there's nothing strong there. Um, I didn't feel like Murph was bad in Interstellar. I thought he did a good job writing for Jessica Chastain on that one. Um, I think Dunkirk probably didn't have any strong females. Tenet... Uh, I can't think of who the female is in that that gets hurt. And oh, uh, Elizabeth Debicki. Yeah, that's not a very strong. So yeah, I mean, just kind of running through in my head the the Nolan movies. Um, 
there doesn't seem to be a lot of emphasis on strong female characters. That, I think that's a fair criticism. Now, we had two of my favorite actresses mm-hmm. uh, probably ever. I don't know if I'm going to go that route, but probably mm-hmm. or definitely right now of Emily Blunt and Florence Pugh. Mm-hmm. Love them both. I, f- I felt like they were wasted. Here. Sure. They, they're side pieces to Oppenheimer. I mean, literally and figuratively, right? Like, <laughs> uh, he clearly is focusing on one aspect. I mean, and given what we learn about Oppenheimer, I mean, maybe there's a, maybe there's some intent there to, to treat the female characters as discardable or just something on the side, you know, around Oppenheimer, because that seems to be maybe how he treated them. Well, I think Emily Blunt especially, I felt like the second, I guess it was more like the last third of the movie, they allowed her to start mm-hmm. acting when we've given her nothing up until that point. Yeah. Uh, like, like truly background noise is what, what she was mm-hmm. previously, and then all of a sudden you try to put weight to her character at the end, and it's like, I feel like it's too too little too late to make this matter. Yeah. And then it was after the movie that I remembered the, the well, I guess Christopher Nolan has had this criticism before mm-hmm. of not being able to to do this well. And I think it, it, it was a glaring miss for me on both of them. Because yeah. I feel like there there was something there that, that could have been, mind you, it was about him. And mm-hmm. But I feel like there was things that they could have done to, to make those characters better and tie it more towards the end of what they were trying to do. Right. And... That that's kind of an example of what I was talking about. I think for me, the same was also true of the shift of everything post uh, bomb testing. Um, to me, there wasn't enough of solid setup in the beginning of the movie to make that last third. I think it is hit. Uh, that's the only time I checked my um, phone for the time was after the Trinity test happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think that would be the end of the movie. I didn't think that that was the climax, but I was just curious. I was like, okay, this is one of the pivotal events in the movie. Where are we? And it was almost midway through the movie, if not maybe slightly into the later, you know, second, maybe the turn of the second and third act. I can't remember, but it, there was still a substantial amount of time left after the bomb went off. So I was more checking it out of curiosity, like, Oh, okay, here we are. What's left. Um, but back to your original point about Emily Blunt and setup, I, I think there's other characters that suffer from that too, whether that's Robert Downey Jr. or um, Rami Malek. And some of the things that just that try to play out in the end, I don't think he did a good job of setting it up in the beginning um, to really pay off. So that that's, and that kind of ties into my original critique, which is you had three hours. So. You had plenty of rope here to right. to set things up and then knock them down later, and I feel like you didn't set them up quite well. So that that's really like the crux of my criticism of this movie is is everything tied around that. Um, before we get going into spoilers, though, I mean the other thing I have to say is I I thought the score in this movie was one of the best I've heard in years. Like I every time there was a piece of music playing, I was like, this is the most perfect piece of music for this scene that they could have come up with. Um, I was just, I was fascinated by it. I've already listened to it like two or three times all the way through since I saw the movie on Friday night. Um, really great. I like the guy who does it. Um, I, I do think there's a little bit of Nolan has a sound cause I think he's shifted. It used to be Hans Zimmer was his guy. Now it's Ludwig, mm-hmm. but they kind of sound like they're taking the same elements and stuff. But I, I, I was obsessed with that. I love that. 
Yeah, I can't say that I I noticed uh, one in particular that that stood out to me. Mm-hmm. That one in, in previous Nolan movies, I feel like it's very present and like, ooh, I really like that one. Mm-hmm. I'd have to go back and, and I had a lot of distractions, so I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe that wasn't uh, a fair a fair shot at it, but I do feel like Interstellar stands out to me. Yeah. Um. Uh, I feel like Dunkirk uh, had had good things that I'm I can I can picture and, and recall but I've also seen those movies mm-hmm. more, more times than one yeah so um, that's interesting I, I would like to go back and listen to, to some of those scores yeah I don't know if there's like a single theme right where you know the Dark Knight and Inception have those like blaring horns that come in and Interstellar has got the little piano that does its thing so I, I don't think it's one of those where you're going to be like oh here's this one song that played at this one moment that I will always remember but just like Every time there seemed like, like I said, especially in the beginning when you had no sound, when it was showing Oppenheimer, like picturing atomic particles smashing around, like the score that was playing there, just it's just perfect. But it's not something that you're going to, you know, easily, you know, remember as like that one theme song kind of thing. Um, I think the other thing I'd probably touch on in the spoiler free section is just some of the performances. I know I, I agree with you what you said about Emily Blunt. I think she it felt like she was trying to make the most of every scene that she was in, uh, especially towards the end. Um, so I think she did a good job with what she was given. I thought Killian Murphy was great. Um, you know, I, I, as much as I would say that Matt Damon is always Matt Damon. Um, and I, I get that Matt Damon's on a different level kind of than Killian Murphy, but like, I definitely thought he became Oppenheimer. I, I, I didn't feel like I was watching Killian Murphy. Um, and props to Robert Downey Jr., man. Shed, shedding the Iron Man um, skin, you know, I, he's been out in the news lately a lot. Kind of, I don't want to say dumping on Marvel, but he's definitely been trying to like distance himself from like playing Iron Man. And you know, he, I've heard some comments about you know dressing up in a plastic suit in front of a green screen. So I, I think he was kind of chomping at the bit to get back into something he could sink his teeth into. And I, I thought he was great in this. I wonder if he's not gotten some roles that he feels like he should have gotten. Uh, up until this point, like between yeah. Iron, between Endgame and here, uh, would do you maybe, mean because like they just see him as comic book guy now, or do you think because he had to turn things down over the years because he was so busy doing? Everything? I think because he was comic book guy and snarky, and you know, yeah. th- this is just who you are and how people see you mm-hmm. as a sarcastic guy. We don't think you can do mm-hmm. a role like this, you yeah, know, type of thing. And so maybe uh, that was him lashing out of could be. See, I, I, I can, mm-hmm. you know, and so. I, you, you never know what kind of internal criticisms that people are getting of, uh, oh, you've just done that, and that's basically mm-hmm. been yourself. You've been playing yourself in a superhero suit for, you know, for for 10 sure years, yeah, you know, fifteen years, however long he he lasted there. But that was a, uh, uh, so I felt when I when I read because uh, I saw those comments too. I was like I was like I wonder if that's a, a shot across the bow to people that have been like maybe he didn't get a role that he wanted, yeah. Um, but I can't imagine you'd think that somebody would strike on Robert Downey Jr. I would think so. I mean, because it's like, you know, you can go back to Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. You could go to Zodiac. Um, You know, he tried to have, he had some, that movie with like Jamie Foxx, I think. So, I mean, I think he's tried to here and there do some dramatic roles, but, you know, has he, has he really gotten the, uh, you know, one big dramatic role, you know, that would kind of set him apart? Since, since Iron Man, since Chaplin, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but even, but, kiss, even kiss, kiss, bang, bang. That was basically Tony Stark, you know. Sure, it, sure. It, it's him being him, yeah. Uh, 
And so I, Sherlock Holmes I, I, I is kind of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I can, I can see that. Um, I think this will go a long way to changing that. Um, you know, playing an older, you know, political figure in a Christopher Nolan movie that a lot of people are going to see. I, I think he did a really good job. I, I don't know where we're at on awards movies. I honestly don't really know what's leading, what's not. I have a hard time thinking that Oppenheimer wouldn't be one of the ones considered for some awards. And he seems like he'd be right for a supporting actor uh, nomination out of this one. I feel like. I, I guess if you, I I guess I don't know the the rules on screen time and whatnot. I feel like he wasn't. I think they bend them like crazy. I mean, I didn't Viola Davis win a supporting actress with like eight minutes of screen time or no, it was somebody. Suicide squad. (laughs) Yes. It was either her or it was um, somebody in that movie doubt with Meryl Streep and Amy Adams that for some reason that's jumping out to me. Cause I think we've Googled this before. Like, what what are the rules around supporting? And I think honestly, sometimes it it comes down to what does the studio want to submit you as? I don't mm-hmm. think in any way, shape, or form they would submit Robert Downey, Robert Downey Jr. as a leading actor in this. I think that's, oh no 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 that's oh, killing. I, I don't even know if there's anything less than supporting actor. There's not. Uh, it's those so, two. Yeah yeah. So I I don't I don't know that there's a whole amount. Like I said, I I have something stuck in my head that says maybe like seven or eight minutes is the lowest amount of screen time ever for a supporting nomination or something. No. So and he clearly has way more than that. Yeah. So I, I I was a big fan. I thought everybody in the movie. I I didn't think there was a bad role, um, acting wise. Um, other than maybe Matt Damon just being Matt Damon, but he was he was fine. But truthfully, I felt like uh, Killian Murphy and Robert Downey Jr. did fantastic, and I think they'll probably each get nominated for lead and supporting. Would be my guess. See, I I felt like Emily Blunt did the worst. Because she was, I feel like she was trying to, to like you said, make something out of, out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't feel like she had enough to work with, and so it felt which out isn't of her fault. To me. No, no, no. It, it, it's absolutely not her fault, and I absolutely love her, and I'd put her in every movie that, mm-hmm. that I make her, her influence. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it, it's one of those that it, it just nothing up until that point gave her character anything, and then. All of a yeah. sudden, it, it was almost, you felt like it was overacting, you know, but that's not her fault. She's just trying right. to, to, to be in this, this spot. Uh, I don't know. It felt, it felt out of, out of place. Yeah. But I would argue that, at least from my perspective, that that was a lot of the struggle with that thread of the story, mm-hmm. um, is that there's sort of this, I don't, I don't want to say loss of motivation, um, I don't think that enough strings were tied from the beginning and middle to the end um, structurally for you to f- feel why people are doing what they're doing. I, another one I felt that with was Rami Malek. Like he's supposed to have a, a big moment um, that we can talk a little bit more here in just a minute. But I, I sort of felt like I didn't, I didn't know where this is coming from. And I think Alden Ehrenreich's character drops a line to try and help that, but it's a line to like mm-hmm. cover it up, not to not to explain anything. Um, right. So anyways, um, seems like we're te- teetering on the edge of spoilers here. Where we are. We are um, okay. So then wh- I'll, I'll let you take over where, where did you land on this one? I guess I'm curious, not only where did you rate it, but like if you had to off the top of your head, figure out in the pantheon of Nolan movies, where is this at? When Nolan has truly, I feel like this is the bottom of Nolan movies. I don't know that there is one that, I 
enjoy less. Insomnia, Tenet. Uh, I actually enjoyed Tenet much more than this. Okay. It, at least it made me think of, and I watched it a few times. At least it's it's making me me work. Mm-hmm. Of how is this <laughs> it happening? It does do that. <laughs> it does do that. <laughs> how is this happening? And I was like, okay, if they go backwards, and then how's yeah. And so, but I did enjoy the concept. I did enjoy uh, that there were some obviously some issues with, with Tenet, but. Uh, I enjoyed myself more in this. And I think most of my criticisms are going to come from the last third of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it kind of left me as a, uh, at a bad taste. Sure. It's not a bad movie. Uh, I think again, if the, you chop it off after, after the bomb, I think I'm very pleased um, with, with what I saw. Um, but not, to me, it's, I don't know that there's a worse, and, I, and I'd like to see insomnia again. Um, it's very I average. Just I haven't, I haven't pulled the trigger, average. but yeah. I, I would I would like to to watch it again because I saw it once mm-hmm. a very very long time ago. Um, so I can't I can't really put that on the spectrum. So I do think it's the worst Nolan, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a a bad movie. Yeah. Um, but I was still between a three and three and a half. Okay. Um. Yeah, I so I'm at a four and a half. I I I loved. Oh wow. I loved a lot about. I mean, my whole family was. Loved it. I took the, both kids to see it. Uh, uh, my son, who's seventeen, he gave it a five. My daughter, who's oh my god, how's my daughter? Fourteen. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, she's fourteen. Um, she gave it a four and a half. I think my wife was at a four and a half. So we we all really enjoyed it. So I only have slight criticisms. The challenge for me though is when you rank Nolan movies, he's kind of like Tarantino to me, where. Sometimes I watch Pulp Fiction and it's my favorite one. Sometimes I watch Reservoir Dogs and it's my favorite one. Like my order of Nolan movies moves. Um, but so it it's almost impossible for me to say. I, I wouldn't put it ahead of The Prestige or Inception. Um, probably wouldn't put it ahead of Dark Knight. Probably wouldn't put it ahead of Interstellar. So it's probably right around Memento, Dunkirk. But those are still four and a half, five star movies for me. So you, You'd put this over Memento or Dunkirk? It, it's, around, it's around in that. I probably wouldn't put it ahead of Memento. I probably need to watch Dunkirk again. I, I have only seen Dunkirk one time, I think. Um, I'm, I'm scared to rewatch it because in the theater it was such a great experience. And I'm not sure that it's going um, to translate to a TV yeah. watch. Um, so yeah... It, as of right now, I definitely have it ahead of Tenet, Insomnia, Dark Knight Rises, uh, following. So you're you're looking at it somewhere in the Batman Begins, Dunkirk, Memento. But again, you know, Batman Begins is like a four star movie for me. Everything above it's either four and a half or five. So there's we're splitting hairs when we get into this. But I, I did really enjoy it. I did share some of my criticisms, which is why I can't give it a five. Um, but who knows? Maybe on a rewatch, maybe some more things will click for me. Um, I've noticed that my, not my attention span in movies, but my, my patience to absorb a lot of information in movies is a lot thinner than it used to be. Um, not to say this movie was like that, but there was a lot of dialogue, a lot of, a lot of talk of agencies, a lot of talk of who's this and that. And you're not showing, you're telling me like there's an atomic agency and there's this and there's that. And it's like, at some point I'm just like, yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't, and like one of the worst things you can do for me these days in a movie. And I remember black Adam doing this It start like putting me in a new world with new characters, naming new elements and new clans and all that stuff like Dune. I just remember being like, God, I, nothing against the movie, but like me personally, I'm just, damn it. That's a lot of information yeah. to start taking in and processing. And I'm not sure I yeah. want that. 
yeah, Dune very well could have been like a Game of Thrones series. Yes, you, you're throwing all these houses and, and people's names. Yeah, and yeah, you're like that's too much. I hope you show me later because I'm not, I'm not <laughs> right, right now. Right. So in a way, there's a little bit of that in Oppenheimer where a lot of the machinations that are going on and, and movements are, are things you're being told. Like, well, this agency is doing this. We got to have this by this date. And this person's putting this pressure and this, this person is potentially a spy. You know what I mean? Like some of it, they show you, but some of it, they're just telling you in dialogue and it's just a lot to keep track of. So for the, all, for that reason and a bunch of the other reasons we talked about, that's where I'm more, I, I, I can't be at a five right now, but maybe on a rewatch. See, in the, in the rewatch, the only reason that I feel like I want to watch again when is to pick up what, what I missed mm-hmm. um, uh, from, from the beginning. But uh, I don't see this as high rewatchability for me. So Well, most things again, that are three hours absolutely do not have high rewatch. It'll sit on that, that shelf over there that hasn't been watched. And you're like, Ugh, every yeah. time you walk, walk your finger by, you're like, no, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it's a big hurdle. I mean, it took me years to even try to pull the trigger on a Lord of the Rings rewatch. I'm like, God. Three hours, and that one's even worse. It's like nine three hours, three movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that that absolutely uh, hurts a lot of things. So wow. So three and a half from you. Um, yeah, I'll be I'll be interested to hear more. Uh, and that's and that's high side. I'm probably closer to a three, to be honest. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I that that's that's kind of surprising to me because I don't feel like it. I feel like there are. It's not a perfect movie, but I'm I'll be interested to hear more about what drops it so far down the list because I. I feel like the stuff that it did do well, it did very, very well, um, but it it wasn't perfect. So, but well, then let's with, get into it. All right, let's do it. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. All right, where do you want to start? Um. I mean, I don't want to necessarily start the end, but I feel like it, that's the the glaring issue of the Robert Downey Jr. reveal. Mm-hmm. Like they made it sound like there was a mystery that I was supposed to be solving this whole time, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they drop this "Oh my gosh, Kaiser Soze" type thing on mm-hmm. me, and they start backing track, mm-hmm. backing through of the, the why, and I'm like, I haven't been along for this ride i guess mm-hmm. and that's why i think maybe there's 10 minutes in the beginning of the movie that i'm supposed to be looking for this and then all of a sudden they drop of it's been him all along i go him doing what i guess right. he's been railroaded because we had these interviews but it, i didn't realize it was this big you know momentous mm-hmm. shoe to be dropped here at this point which kind of took me out of the end also of mm-hmm. whose story are we are we telling right now like, I feel like this could have been a Robert Downey Jr. movie, mm-hmm. you know, about his character and being shunned by Oppenheimer, uh, the, or this perceived slight from Oppenheimer throughout the movie that is like, here's 10 minutes at the beginning that says why he's being interviewed, and then the last last chunk of it. It just seemed very uh, disconnected from yeah. the whole middle two hours of the movie. And so that's where I'm... Uh, I, I felt like that was all out of place. And there, there's a lot of gotchas and and people, you know, politically maneuvering and like, this hasn't been the movie at all. Yeah. And so it just seemed out of place to me. I think that's fair. I, I don't think, I don't think they abandoned it for the middle section of the movie. I, I think they did a good job of keeping it going, right? Because there's always these different threads. Like throughout the entire movie, there's like two or three different threads that they're pulling. But where I do agree with you is that 
the ending felt like it was supposed to hit a lot harder than it did on a lot of different fronts, whether that was um, Robert Downey Jr. getting exposed, whether it was Rami's testimony that, you know, kind of tipped the tables, Mm -hmm. whether it was, you know, um, whether Oppenheimer is going to get his security clearance approved or not. Like there's all these things that are happening in, in and around Oppenheimer, the man. And I followed them. I understood them, but they didn't have the gravity that they should have. Right. Like I, I, I feel like it was presented to your point as trying to be like these kind of monumental things, but because they, they were, I don't feel like they were set up correctly. And some of that could be because of how he chose to do this structurally or some of it I think is because I just don't think they, they pulled at the threads enough in the early steps. So they had a three hour runtime. They have all this time to be setting things up correctly. And I feel like, you're more as an audience member invested in like the main timeline, which is the bomb and working up towards that and the way they're interspersing some of this other stuff. They're not giving you enough information to like latch onto. So then when it happens at the end, like I clearly understand what happens at the end. It just didn't have the the weight that I think he intended. Yeah. And part of it is, I didn't know how old he was when he was going through this trial Oppenheimer. And it's like, Oh, we're going to take away your security clearance which is pretty low stakes to me, mm-hmm. you know? And so I was like, okay, so he doesn't have security clearance. So he goes back to teaching or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, like it didn't seem like he was like, okay, you are going to be convicted as a communist, right. you know, and ruin your reputation or, or whatever. And you're have to leave the country. Or I, it, I didn't feel that weight of the importance of what they're even talking about. Right. Know? It's like, okay, so you don't have super secret clearance. So, so what, mm-hmm. you know, that that's kind of how my, like that's the worst <laughs> the worst case scenario here. And so I wasn't invested in that. I thought the last part of the movie is gonna be more of him grasping with what he created than the security clearance thing. Yeah. And so and so again, maybe that was me projecting of what I thought was was going to happen, but this this whole side story of political aspirations for Robert Downey Jr.'s character, like that I, I don't care. Like I I don't yeah. I don't know you at all. At all, really. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> so. I I wouldn't say that. I, I felt like I understood what was happening there and, and, you know, that he was going for a cabinet post and his political aspirations and he was trying to sure. ride on the back of Oppenheimer's success but then also throw him under the bus to make him look better. Like, I get all of it. It's just the impact isn't there. Uh, you know, it, 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 Because, it, again, I don't think we know Robert Downey Jr.'s character at all to make it the fall that significant. Um, I don't... Yeah, I mean, I think it was more to me about um not that we didn't know his character, but just that the the chess game that was supposedly going on, we weren't really exposed to. Like we got we knew that, you know, the government was going to screw him over after they built the bomb. Like there's some of those things that were a little bit more obvious, but all of the emotion seems to be packed into the color scenes and the building up of the bomb and working with the physicists and all that. And the black and white scenes seem very sterile. Um, so I, I know I can see what's happening on the screen, but I have like no emotion attached to it essentially is, is the unfortunate part. Um, so when people start turning on Robert Downey Jr. And, you know, like I, I know what I'm supposed to feel, but the movie didn't get me there in terms of feeling that it, it just felt too, I think you said this word, but it felt too disconnected and not for a lack of trying because I, I feel like they were 
trying to spend time in that story. It's just that what was happening in that story either wasn't enough or it was the way it was being told wasn't stitching together enough where like, I like, okay, we'll get back to the black and white scenes in a little bit. Get me back to the color scenes where we're working towards the atomic bomb and maybe they'll fill in the gaps later. Like, I don't know if the, if the way he presented it is hindering the audience's investment or if he just didn't do enough to get people invested. Well, and that's, that also goes along with, with Emily Blunt, as we mentioned earlier, they just kept giving her like the same line of fight. You need to fight. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know what she's asking him to do when she initially brought it up. Mm -hmm. Like like that's an odd thing for you to to say. It's like, I don't feel like he's necessarily been in in conflict right Mm -hmm. now. And then they try to carry that theme through through the end, and that's mm-hmm. when her her character started to to, to show more uh, of trying to be the backbone for him, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that that type of thing. But it just seemed her dialogue early really out of place for for what what the payoff was supposed to be. Yeah, again, I, and so it, um, which unfortunate because I mean, again, she's a great actress, and if you can utilize her more throughout the movie then that may have had a better uh landing spot of maybe just throw out florence like i don't know that florence mattered at all in this movie um and i would give more time to to emily's character obviously the infidelity piece is important Mm -hmm. or or that i don't know is it now that I'm now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, sure, yeah, sure I mean, it's something that happened, but is it sure. necessary? Yeah, because I mean, could, could you? I mean, was him being a womanizer really essential to the understanding that you're trying to get across? And then, you know, if you're going to say that some of that was to show his ties to you know communist people, like they clearly still had that with Emily Blunt. So, yeah, I, I don't know that Florence's character was all that integral. Like if you take her out and, and shave down some of the movie, do you still get what you need to out of the motivations and understanding? So um, well, it was more not necessarily cut down the time and more give it to Emily's character. Sure. And try to develop that a little bit more. Right. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's a fair criticism. I mean, that that's my number one complaint about the movie is that I can see the plot elements being set up. What I'm, what's not being set up for me is like the gravity of it all. Um, so to your point about fighting, like why is Oppenheimer not fighting? You know, why, why is he choosing to just kind of go through it as is? Is it because he's scared? Is he nervous? Is he humble? Is he, does he feel like he has a, a ton of regrets or, you know, wh- what is it? There, there's some of those things, like there's some of him that I, I really understand his drive for what he did. And then there's some things where I'm like, I don't, I don't know that I fully was given the full picture there. And I think that's, and a lot of that to your point comes to fruition in the last third of the movie. Um, and where that's all mainly what we switch to post test. And if you haven't set that up as well in the first two thirds of the movie, then yeah, you're, it's not that I don't understand. It's that I didn't, I didn't feel it as much as I wanted right. to. Right. It's okay. So you had a list of things that you loved that, that they did right. Hit me. Oh, I mean, I, I actually liked the method of storytelling. I thought it was fun to bounce around. I think that was needed to keep, you know, things going for three hours instead of telling it linearly. But um, obviously I wish it could have been done inside of that method a little bit more effectively. Um, The acting, the score, the sound. um, There's definitely moments in this movie that are just fantastic, whether that's unfortunately the beginning that you didn't get to experience, like when they're first showing all that, um, 
you know, some of the choices that they did around the actual detonation. I thought like the complete silence and just hearing people breathing. I thought that was really cool. I did think the, the bomb itself was a little bit underwhelming. Like I know that Nolan likes to do practical effects and I'm totally fine with that, but it, like the actual explosion itself, I don't, I don't know. Just felt uh, like some of the stuff that was happening in the beginning of the movie, and even at the end, as he's thinking by the pond, like some of the visuals that we're seeing there, with like the Earth being consumed by fire and the ballistic missiles going off. Like some of those shots are kind of way cooler than any of the shots during the actual explosion itself. But I liked, I really liked the choice of just like the complete silence and the breathing during the atomic bomb test. Um, and I already mentioned all the acting. Um, so I just thought it was a really, I thought. If, if he could have just figured out how to take the emotion from some of the main thread and get that into some of the side threads, namely the Robert Downey Jr. one, um, I, I think you get so much more of a payoff. But especially when you're putting all that stuff after the bomb, which is what everybody knows we're leading up to, I think if you're going to extend the movie another hour post-bomb, you know, you got to hit that emotional resonance and not just show me that Robert Downey Jr. was trying to get the better of Oppenheimer and screw him over, but then Oppenheimer kind of wins and Robert Downey Jr. loses. But you want to you want to feel that, right? You want to feel like you came out of that like, yeah, okay, I was rooting for this guy and super pumped that he did that, but you're just kind of like, yeah, okay. Yeah, but see, he didn't... In Oppenheimer's role in the end it is nothing. Sure. Uh, he... So is it really his story that should have been told? Like, that's kind of my my thing well i think so because it's it's about his reputation and robert Downey jr was trying to crush his reputation and he didn't get a chance to defend himself i think that's kind of what they were showing is that he got pigeonholed in this back room and then history was going to write awful things about oppenheimer based off of robert Downey jr trying to screw him over for political reasons like i think think that was clear Mm. okay but again i think it's almost like he's trying to tell tell two people's stories and the, the whole end didn't have to do I mean it was about him but it was more about Robert Downey Jr. Yes. I felt. It, but I think that's because the public only got to see the Robert Downey Jr. side. So you're seeing this play out where you know Oppenheimer can only defend himself in a rigged you know security clearance thing in this back room somewhere. He's not going to get to go in front while Robert Downey Jr. gets to go in front of all of Congress and you know say all these things and and do all these things about Oppenheimer. And it's to me that's Nolan saying this guy was trying to tear down Oppenheimer's legacy while building up his own. And the only way to tell it would be to do that through um, you know Robert Downey Jr.'s lens because he's the one that's trying to tear him down. Yeah, yeah. I- Again, I just didn't, I didn't I didn't feel any of that. All of a sudden, I felt like we were just in a different different story. But as you said, the uh, uh, cinematography. I think no one has ever, outside of choreography, no one has ever said that Nolan doesn't make a pretty movie. Sure, you know, like he you know he knows how to make how to do the right shots. Um, you know, everything is very again very pretty. Mm-hmm. He knows what he's doing on that side of things. That's mm-hmm. that's never been a complaint on any Nolan movie. Uh, again, the practical effects. There's no random CGI that you're like, okay, that just <laughs> right. takes you out of the movie. He he does all that very well. Um, I will say, I feel like this was the worst edited movie uh, of his, especially at the beginning where we're jumping from random scene to random scene. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like any of that flowed very well. I think it was just 
trying to cram too much information in of, mm-hmm. uh, okay, now where are we? And we're just dr- jumping time mm-hmm. to, to, to say, okay, here's his background, but we're, we're jumping to scenes that may or may not have relevance sure. later, but they, he feels like he needs to have this little pocket scene in here that this kind of moves, moves things around. So that, that's, that's why I feel like this is my, my least favorite of just every, just everything from, from that, the editing down to the the storytelling just all felt disconjointed. But it's again, it's a good, visually stimulating movie. Mm-hmm. Like there's no never been a criticism on, on his movies like that. Uh, but but that was kind of my my takeaway from from those. Yeah, I mean, he definitely does not like to tell straightforward stories. I think no. outside of the Batman movies, I mean, his narrative structures are usually, um not very linear. I mean, Interstellar is kind of linear, but even then they do some weird things. Like he just likes to play around with it. And I think sometimes it works to greater effect and sometimes it doesn't. And I think I was okay with what he chose to do structurally. I think, I guess I would, I I do kind of see what you're saying and I'm questioning whether or not it was the mechanism that he chose to do that caused the problems or whether he just didn't have the right materials inside of those mechanisms. Uh, and I'm not I, sure. I don't. That. I don't believe the bouncing between black and white, you know, the the future and the past. I, that I didn't have an issue with. Mm-hmm. I think it was the the subject matter in the past that they were choosing to try to highlight in just a, a quick sequence of events. That mm-hmm. you're like, what? Why are we? What are we doing here? Right. Like that just seems all all very abrupt. And why do we have that scene? Um. So I. I know he doesn't like to do that. <laughs> Time is his friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and he likes to mess with all that. So I, I didn't have a problem with that side of things. Yeah. It was just, it just seemed like his past getting to the school and all that was all up into the project. It was all very, very choppy. Mm. Yeah. I, I didn't, it didn't feel choppy to me. I mean, clearly it bounces around, but it didn't feel choppy to the point where I like, I felt like I was uh, discombobulated out of sorts, out of whack. Um, I just, wished that the choppiness had led to a stronger payoff in the end. Um, like it didn't, it didn't feel like two or three different threads coming to a head at the same time and hitting with a, like a ton of emotional weight. It just sort of felt like it maintained those kind of disparate threads all the way through. And then, um, you know, one of them in particular, the, the black and white thread just didn't have the emotional resonance that the, the bomb thread did. Yeah. Are you ready for my my nitpick? Sure. That really really bugged me. Uh, and while this may be historically accurate, uh, <laughs> it, I felt like it was very heavy handed of showing how smart that he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go from saying he learned uh, what Dutch in mm-hmm. two weeks or a month, and then there was oh, I forgot what the second one was, and the third one was. Uh, you can read Sanskrit, mm-hmm. you know, and, and read it all. It's like, but the way that he also says those things is so very arrogant. And I'm sure Oppenheimer was, <laughs> but to me, it always comes back to this movie with uh, with Treat Williams, the substitute too. Oh, Jesus of <laughs> somebody asks him, "Have you read War and Peace?" And he answers, "Only in Russian." It's like you know get out of here like like it's so right arrogant and like oh, this is how smart i am it's like someone you know, again reading the file of look how smart sure. this guy is and it, and the fact that there were three of them and I, and I can't believe i can't think of the third one 
but there was there's three in succession mm-hmm. that were showing how how smart he was <laughs> yeah like, stop stop we get it he's a smart guy yeah like he's gonna he's gonna make the atom bomb and nobody else can but but these oh yeah i read i read sanskrit you know it it seemed unnecessary to me i mean so sure that's, uh, i mean that's, that's me. clearly a nitpick i mean i i you know it's clear what they're doing i mean in the first however long you need to set up that this guy is a genius on a whole other level um so however you want to choose to do that whether it's writing equations out on the board or chatting with einstein or talking about languages i mean yeah i i get it it may have been a little bit overkill but it's, it's so un, unimpactful to anything that i felt like i was watching I was like whatever and could florence read sanskrit i don't think so okay she pointed at hey read this i'm sure she was just you know, like you know uh, just read the, this this one yeah seemed to be very relevant to what we were yeah, it just it just happened on. to be the the famous quote. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so I was like, okay, I was like, I didn't know she pointed out that in particular. Yeah, I it was funny because when they when they said that line, the famous line, I I was like, oh, is that going to be the only time that they say that in the movie? Because like I always was taught that he said it, you know, after it exploded or when he was watching the explosion or whatever. So that, but they did bring it back in at that point too. Yeah, it's just a very random way to drop that in. Yeah, no, for mm-hmm. sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're we're definitely on different ends of the spectrum and I, I think we have the same issues. It's just a matter of like how much we felt like they impacted our viewing experience. And so for me I it hurt it, but not enough to take away from everything else. And I think for you it was quite more significant. It was. It, that's how, how I felt when I left the theater. Yeah. So that's what I gotta that's what I gotta go with, Garrett. Yeah, well, and I don't know when I'll watch it again. To your point, because it's just a lot to take in another three-hour movie. So I, I like I said, I haven't watched Dunkirk's not three hours, but I haven't revisited it since theater. So it's I'm it's be, close, isn't it? Probably. I feel like every. Well, I mean, I saw a trailer for Killers of the Flower Moon, and that thing's supposed to be like three and a half hours long or something like that. So what's I don't even know what that is. That's Which the. Leo and Scorsese, oh, Scorsese Osage Indians. Yeah. 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 Scorsese likes likes his long ones. Jeez. Everybody does these days. Everybody is making long movies. It's really somebody needs to somebody needs to come out and and reset the industry, man, and just be like I'm telling you, like call it like 90-minute studios or something like that and like just say I'm only <laughs> making hour and a half movies or hour 45 and just that's our thing. Something ninety minute studios and there's there's no no fudging no so you, no you, you, you kind of commit yourself to yeah you sign with us studios. you better get it under you know like ninety minutes that that's like an eighties thing right when movies were like you know an hour and twenty minutes hour and thirty I I'd give you one forty five like all all adjust for inflation and say it doesn't you can, sound it doesn't sound as cool no it doesn't because what is that that's <laughs> one forty five studios <laughs> yeah not even one forty five if you're going on minutes that's what one oh. I don't know one yeah. yeah. oh five. Um, I don't know what we're doing next. I'm not sure kind of what's happening in the in the next month or two. Uh, next month or two. I don't know. When does uh, when does Craven come out? Oh, God, I think that's like October or something. That makes uh, more sense. But yeah, it's been a while. Like I think everything was kind of building up towards Barbie and Oppenheimer, and then I've sort of forgotten what's been coming out um, in uh, in August. But I'm sure we will we will find something to go see. Yeah. Oh, Gran Turismo. I did forget about that one. Meg 2. Yeah. Absolutely not. Blue Beetle. Oh, my God. Wow. August looks Meg real bad. Meg 2? 
Jathan Statham. <laughs> Equalizer 3 in September. Is that real? Oh. I, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you here, man. Uh, Garrett wants to go dark for the next couple next months. Next few months are looking a little rough. A little rough. But we'll find something to watch. All right, Carson, where can they find you on Twitter? At Carson Graff, G-R-A-F-F. You can find me at, at Two Views Garrett, G-A-R-R-E-T-T. You can find the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at, at Two Views Movies, or you can email us at twoviewsmovies at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via Apple, Google, Spotify, basically anywhere you listen, we are there. Like you just heard, we'll be back at some point in uh, August, just not quite sure what's going what's gonna to be out there for us to watch, but we will find something, and we will, uh, we will catch you then. What should we do next? Something good? Something bad? Bit of both? Bit of both!